if you look at the job profiles of the people who work at IWC, you wouldn't be mistaken if you thought that it was a Silicon Valley startup. Hello and welcome. Today, I'm talking to a very special guest, Dominic Weir. He is a master of digitalization, hard word to pronounce, and advertising with more than 24 years of experience. Dominic has worked with renowned companies to help them achieve their goals and embrace digitalization in the best possible way. What's more, as a CDO, he was an active member at IWC Schaffhausen for 11 years, leading the digital department, and he was a member of the board. I'm very excited to welcome the power man today and find out more about his passion for digital stuff. Ah, I'm looking forward to this. Hello, Dominic. How are you? Nice to have you as a guest today. I'm great. Very good and happy to be here as a guest. Where are you right now? Like physically? What's... Physically, I'm in my basement in Schaffhausen, in my home office. In the basement. But yeah. the signal is quite good. You have strong wireless. I, you know, <laughs> this is Switzerland. We have excellent connectivity and a wired connection. So yes, we are state of the art. Is that really the case? Or is it because like, honestly, I'm German. We are a little bit behind in internet speeds in Germany, and I moved five years ago to the States. It is quite sort of fast, but last week I've been into a hotel in Utah in the middle of the desert, and it's been by far the fastest internet I've ever experienced in my life. And I mean, internet plays a role in our jobs, yours as well as mine. We're going to find out about that. Um, do you feel like Switzerland really has a good connectivity base kind of? You know, I think it, it, it really down to the individual. I've never had any problems streaming video, audio. I've never really had any connectivity issues that were not self-inflicted, if you see what I mean. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's okay. How old are you? I am very old. No, <laughs> 47. <laughs> 47. And, and you're British, right? As... I am, correct, yes. Were you, were you born? I was born in, in central London. So I grew up in uh, in central London. My postcode was East Central One. You couldn't get okay. any more central, really. <laughs> and you went to school in London as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I, in fact, I, I went to school seven, seven miles away from my, my home, which was an interesting commute at the age of 10. But yes, London born and bred and educated. And then did you study after that? or? or... Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in fact, my background is product design. So I started... You know, in creative creative arts at an early age, you know, my father, he both my parents were classical musicians, and my father was actually also an engineer, and and so he was he was making machines that helped him to produce um, reeds that he would use on his bassoon. So I spent most of my childhood in an, in a workshop um, up to my elbows in in mischief, um, and so as I you know progressed through my my early years i i wanted to be creative and so i studied product design as a, as a degree and that, that's really my base and, and did you play an instrument as well if you i did yeah i, I, so I played the piano and also the bassoon so um Oh. I studied, studied. Yes, I know that was an awkward instrument. So you can imagine yeah. a 10 year old carrying <laughs> yeah, this what... very large suitcase across town to school every day. Uh, it was very, very awkward and not very good for my, um, you know, position in the in the in the class. But let's just say it was character building. Yeah, it, it helped you. If if it doesn't 
yeah, it makes you stronger. So, um, and and you, but you did like designing things. Does that mean you scribbled things or you build things as a bit as of both? A child I mean, a bit of both. I, I I enjoyed drawing, although it wasn't my my strongest skill. I was very good at making things um, and problem solving. So solving very complex problems in order to create uh, products and objects. You know, as I said, my father was very much an engineer, so a lot of what we were doing in the workshop was solving quite complex engineering solution or problems in order to to make very accurate machines that would help us to produce highly accurate bassoon reeds uh bassoon reeds are you know double double reed instrument um and uh, in order in order for them to make the noise you have to have um very accurate um profiles and and things like that okay and then but you did study product design like a legit Yeah, absolutely. So I went and studied at Central St. Martins, um, and that's oh, where okay. I got my degree in Central London. It was an amazing course. You know, I, I thought going to art, art college or art university would be quite relaxed, but uh, in fact, it was it was you know really regimented. We had to sign in in the morning at eight o'clock, and we had to sign out at five o'clock. And if you didn't complete your sign in for three days in a row or three times in a row, you were put on report. So it was very. It was like going going into the army, I guess. And I had friends who were at other universities who I think didn't go to university for the first year. They didn't attend any lectures and they still graduated. So it was a bit of a shock to the system going to an art college that was highly regimented. But that was because there were so many applicants per place on the course. They they wanted to make sure that it was <clears throat> you know, properly subscribed and, and they delivered what they needed to. So... Okay, yeah. and you did finish it. You didn't drop out. No, you didn't got drop your out. Degree. Got my degree. Left university. And then, like, did you look for a job? What, what What was your dream when you left university? The young Dominic in the streets of London, where you're like, what was your dream? My dream was to be a product designer when I joined. Okay. Uh, and interestingly, as you go through university, your, your career aspirations change. I remember the day that the tutor walked in and said, look, you realize that only two to three percent of you will go out and get product design jobs. And at the end of the course, I understood why, because there were so many product designers and so few product design firms in London. It was a highly competitive environment. And really only the cream of the crop were picked up and, and went and started working for these product design firms. And I wasn't too bad, but I, I realized towards the end of my degree that in fact I was more interested in the process than I was in the end result which is not necessarily such a good thing if you're a product designer um, but I was fascinated by technology and 3D design and uh, emerging technologies in 3D rendering and animation so when I left university I went and started to produce um, graphic art for uh, record independent record companies in the UK uh, predominantly London and making 3D movies for MTV and that kind of stuff. So I used my product product design skills uh, and my graphic design skills to produce artwork for yeah record labels and. Uh, what and kind so of music? What, what uh, it kind was of music? really really across the board. I mean, 90s okay. was really a hotbed of of dance music in the UK. So it was predominantly dance music okay. that we were producing for. And then you know a, a year a year in, I decided that I really. You know, this is not something that I can continue to sustain for the rest of my life. And I was keen to get a, a proper job because freelancing is always, you never know when you're going to get your next paycheck. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and and so I had the opportunity to join Alfred Dunhill as a product designer. 
Help me. What do they do? What's- Alfred. So Alfred Dunhill is a luxury menswear and accessories business uh, in actually based out of London. So a very old uh, UK business. Um, and and so I, I joined them designing leather goods, accessories. So everything from from bags all the way through to wallets, cufflinks, writing instruments, and watches. And that was something that I, I, you know, was actually quite good at and did that for three years before then transitioning to being a digital person, if you like. How, like but you did 3D renderings before, right? So yeah, absolutely. You, it was always a big part, the digital part in your work, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, it was always at the technical edge. So I had all, I had access to a lot of the, the 3D, you know, state-of-the-art 3D technologies of the day. And I, I used that to, and, and this is something that wasn't really being done by Alfred Dunhill at that time, use that technology to render uh, everything from yeah bags all the way through to, to lighters and, and writing instruments and so on. And when did you come to IWC? So I joined IWC in 2010. So, you know, I left Alfred Dunhill in, in 2000 and actually joined company financier Richemont. Um, and, and that's really the transition point. I, I went from being a product designer to uh, a digital person and in fact was, you know, a, it founded a team in London, 27 Knightsbridge, whose sole purpose was to design and build luxury brand websites. Um, and in fact, we built some of the first luxury e-commerce businesses around that time. So between 2000 and 2005, that's what I was, I was predominantly doing. Uh, everything from digital marketing, in fact, even hand coding websites. I, I, was, I built some of these websites myself in HTML, JavaScript, and so on. Uh, and and my wider team built order management systems and integrated those systems with warehouse management systems. And yeah, built built some of the first e-com businesses. That's crazy. So you you are passionate about digital stuff, right? Yeah, as it I'm, sounds, right? I, so. yeah, I love I love technology. I've always loved technology and you know the empowering or the empowerment that it gives people. What would you think where this is coming from? Like your childhood, the your father, in the kind of. Yeah, I think yeah. I think the challenge, you know, I, I love I love hard, complex problems to solve. So that was the first one. The the other thing I think was you know, in the luxury goods industry was actually marrying a very traditional business model with something which is so advanced and state of the art. So I really enjoyed that the technical challenge of of doing that. But digitization or or digital is just something that I find quite fascinating because of the freedom that it, it affords you. And especially for luxury brands as well. These these brands have probably some of the, the greatest products, the greatest content and storytelling. And it always slightly frustrated me that they weren't really leveraging these technologies to do that in any meaningful way. So that was, you know, the challenge. How do we how do we marry this very classical traditional business with this new way of, of storytelling and and building customer engagement and and ultimately brand which is interesting because at the end you're doing like you're in a surrounding which is if you ask me the most analog product kind of types i've ever seen analog time watches like like that's the definition of not digital right and you're now in that world like how did it start did people say like yeah nah get away you digital won't stay there internet one like did you have to fight in the beginning or was yeah, it always it, it, open I mean, doors no it was hand-to-hand combat you know it was you know you were dealing with a very old mentality old way of thinking yeah. 
Um, and then there's this thing called the internet that came along. And, and at that time, <laughs> everyone saw it as just another way of producing, a, you know, another catalogue. You know, instead yeah. of having a printed catalogue, you have a digital catalogue. And that was it. You know, if you wanted to have a discussion about anything else, you forget it. Uh, and if you if you go back to the early 2000s, all luxury brand websites were basically a flash application. And as I, I used to tell the, yeah. the, the brands at the time, you know, the most expensive button you'll ever design is a skip intro button. Because everyone clicks, <laughs> skips, skips intro. But so you have this. But what's fascinating about... What's really fascinating about our business, the business of watches, is that, in fact, and if you go back in time, we were the most state-of-the-art product in terms of engineering and manufacture, you know, in terms of precision. And, in fact, we were using the most advanced technologies of the day to create these products. And if you think about a watch, it is just a solid state application. It's a solid state program. If you look at our perpetual calendars, they are solid state programs. And, you know, another thing I like to say, and that is if you look at the job profiles of the people who work at IWC or indeed any of these highly advanced analog manufacturers of watches, you, would, you wouldn't you would be mistaken if you thought that it was a Silicon Valley startup. You know, we have data scientists who are analyzing massive data sets of of the profile of cogs in the watch in order to determine which profile has the least wear okay a data scientist defining and working with engineers to improve efficiency of of, of a watch if you go to our manufacturer it is the most state of art manufacturer you've you've seen and you would be mis- you know it's easy to sort of get that mixed up with with you know a, an advanced laboratory in silicon valley or, or or somewhere else so if you think about it it was always kind of ironic that we had the most advanced engineering the most advanced material scientists engineers physicists working for us but we were so backward when it came to the adoption of digital technology to tell the story of the brand you know this is what i found quite fascinating was the hesitance to adopt these technologies and use them to our advantage it, but on the other side we had the most advanced technology you know that 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 uh, that you could have in an in an industry for making our watches do, do you see what i mean hundred percent. It's like super interesting because it makes very much sense. But I never thought of that. Like it's it's it makes a hundred percent sense. But still, it's like for me, it's super interesting to talk to a person like you, who twenty years ago, yeah, it was like ah, this internet, and now you're on the board. I mean, you're <laughs> there's a there's a you're a CDO, which means yeah. Chief Digital Officer, which which didn't exist probably before you, right? Or did no, you? I mean, you know, the interestingly enough, I think it was the uh, one of the. Um, I read a report a few years back that said that children and sixty percent of children entering into the into the school today will do jobs that haven't been ever created. And so if you look at it, when I was a kid, if someone said, you're going to be chief digital officer, I, I would say, well, first of all, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> what, is a, what is a chief? What does a digital mean, you know? Um, an officer. What? An officer. I just, you know, it would have been, you know, sorry, I don't understand what you're talking. Clearly, you're from another planet. But 
Um, and even social media managers, content creators, none of these jobs existed even even 15 years ago. That that was kind of the edge of when this stuff was starting to... to and that, in fact, the internet has only been around for, what, 30 years? The commercial internet, when you think about it, maybe even less than that. So it's still incredibly young uh, in many respects. But anyway, the CDO title essentially... And this is, it's a bit of a weird one. And it's, it's, it's one that I'm, I, I think needs to change. I think we need to change the, the, the CDO job and its role. Fundamentally, we sit at the cross section of the technology, the customer and the brand and the business and ultimately answer the needs of the customer. So it's really more chief customer officer. You know, my, my job is, is, is about obsessing about the customer experience across all of the different retail and digital channels that we manage and own and solving, solving their pain points, making their experience exceptional. The best digital experience is the ones that you don't notice. Do you see what I mean? They just, you know, yeah. you have a, a, a it's why Apple and, and their technology is beautiful to work with because you don't have to think it's intuitive. Uh, so that's kind kind of what the CDO does, but it's evolved from from a transform. It's still transformative, but it's it's evolved from where it was ten years ago. How how was COVID for that kind of topic? Did it accelerate? Did it uh, slow it down? Did it? Are people uh, you know, more digital in your kind of? You know, what was I mean? And the COVID situation. It's a terrible state of affairs, and it's it's unfortunate that that the impact of that was a, a massive shift in, in in the way that people adopted or indeed used digital. But I'll accept that that's just the way it is. Uh, and there has been a massive shift in the way that people think about it. But it's quite subtle in some respects, but also quite obvious in others. The, the, the thing that I took away from it was that there were a lot of people within the business who, who suddenly realized that, in fact, it was it was necessary to pivot on the way that we do and the way that we integrate with our with our business. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously, the retail business was, was closed for a period of time. But but the beautiful thing is that a lot of those people who are working the retail industry suddenly shifted their mindset and, and and started to come up with creative solutions that used digital. So people who would have classified themselves as non-digital before were now digital people. And, and this was exciting because fundamentally the dialogue changed to how do we create new ways of engaging with our customers to service their needs? And so, so that massive pivot and that shift in mindset has had, uh, I think, a, and will have a long-lasting impact on how brands continue to build businesses. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, in in my world, I think the QR code had some sort of a comeback, right? It was yeah, I mean, QR <laughs> it was bad great. Before, yeah. but, I mean, interestingly enough, this is also a regional, regionally specific thing because if you go to China, you know, QR codes or Japan, even you know, QR codes are just part of your daily life. That's you know, no question about it. But I do agree. You yeah. know, in fact, we you know when we relaunched the the Zurich boutique, we we inter introduced QR codes. But you can see that the adoption rate in Switzerland of the QR code is much less than it would be if it was uh, in Shanghai, for example. So there are some regional specificity, but I agree with you, you know, QR codes came back with a vengeance. It's super interesting. But you do, so you do all advertising, you do all media, digital or any other media, right? Content strategy, the whole social channels. Are you on Insta on your own, like your private? Yes. Do you? Yeah, no, yeah? I, I'm not so private, actually. I, I have an open channel and, you know, I'm, I'm keen to grow the followership, although I really okay. got to work on my own content strategy. It's not particularly consistent. 
Um, but yeah, what's, no, what's the topics on your private? You know, it's it, my dog. Um, okay. I, tr- I try not to include too much family life, but it, it just it it percolates through um, my my where I live, Schaffhausen, the countryside. Yeah. You know, it's really just a mixture of stuff. I think I'll probably take a little bit more of a serious approach to it in the next you know few months and start building something which is a little bit more consistent, I guess. So, what's yeah. the customer experience if you follow you on on Instagram? It's kind of <laughs> Rather, up and down, sort of. Rather mundane, I should imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a particularly exciting person. <laughs> on TikTok? Are you on TikTok? You know, I have. Yeah, I've been on TikTok for some time now. And, and, and first and foremost, to just really understand the context of TikTok. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's an amazing channel if you just want to go and get lost. You can, you can just follow those streams for hours and end. Um, yeah. But I think it's quite. I think it can be quite a challenging um, channel for the more traditional businesses to to pick up and, and use in a in a meaningful way, uh, in a way that resonates with the audience that's on TikTok. And that's always the challenge with social media is, you know, adapting to the context of the channel and delivering content that is meaningful and valuable for the end customer to 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 use. Um, but yes, now uh, TikTok, yeah. it's good fun. It's the what about Snapchat? Because like. For me, on my side of things, I personally think social media kind of transforms into communication with customers. So it's not only you put something out and somebody can consume it. It's like an interaction in between. On That's what I think, you know. Yeah. So it's more like building a community out of an audience. So um, I think Snapchat is like, at least over here in the States, the whole generation of 20 to 30-year-old uh, people communicates through Snapchat. That's their main like messaging tool and it's a visual written it's kind of weird i'm 42 so i'm seeing them communicating in a very very weird way um but that's their main communication tool and i don't see any brand really using snapchat as a if it's customer service or dms or or whatever some sort of real snap like at least that's my five cents what what do you think what what are you doing at iwc yeah, I mean, so I mean, Snapchat is something that we have dabbled in uh, a number of times, but I, I think you're quite right. It's it, you, you really find the the value proposition, uh, and and indeed, what does that dialogue look like, and how can you sustain a dialogue with your customers on those platforms? And that's not so easy to to do, uh, especially because there is a certain uh, demographic uh, implication, but also I believe that you know a lot of brands they have so many channels that they have to manage they can they can't they cannot use them all to their fullest extent they have to you have to make some choices um and and that i think is very much defined by who your real customer is and what is what's the number one choice right now instagram for iwc again you know we're we're active in 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 most social media channels uh and you know WeChat as well as in a way both so the Chinese social media channels are equally as important as as the other channels that we operate in. Instagram you, do. you are on you are on WeChat. Yeah, we're on WeChat, Senaweibo. We're also very active on Tmall. What's fascinating about the Chinese social media channels is that they they are they really are a blend of commerce and social media. Much more than Facebook or Instagram is. They really have a, a, a fully integrated suite of commerce plus uh, social. Uh, and if you look at you know Alibaba, Tmall, it's it's yeah. even more more ingrained within their 
you know, within omni-channel business or indeed new retail business model uh, than, than any other channel. Uh, and, and the way that, that China utilizes social media or indeed these channels is quite profound. It has a, it, it's transformed the way that customers engage with their businesses. But does that work in a luxury gut? Like, like is it because I, I kind of can follow for jeans or for clothing or for like lower priced kind of categories, but are you selling watches on Tmall? Like, yes, absolutely. Now, Tmall as well as WeChat, um, we are we're, we're active on those platforms, and we do sell watches. You know, I think one has this kind of preconceived idea of what customers will and won't do. Uh, and those are often very, very incorrect. Uh, you, you need to you need to understand that the way that the customers engage with the brand, but also want to engage with buying product. Um, and you know, I, I operate on the basis that it, it's not for me to decide where the customer buys. They have to be able to make that decision for themselves, and they will. If you're not there, then the chances are you cannot service them. So the the objective as a business is to um, is to be forward thinking and adopt these channels when it makes sense for the business uh, and when we can provide the, the right level of customer experience that our customers deserve and also expect. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it, it's up to the customer to decide where they shop, not me. Which is like, um, honestly, it's it's quite it's super interesting for me to, to listen to that because also you do have quite a strong Insta shop, right? Like on Instagram, on the IWC account, there's a legit shop on there. And I always ask myself, like, who's buying a 18K watch on Insta? Like who's who's going in the shop and then, oh, I like this and buys it. But there are people, right? Yeah, there are. Uh It, what's interesting about this is that a lot of people, you know, it's like adding to cart. I'm just going to add it to cart and see what happens. You know, so it's part of the shopping process. You know, if you're on Insta and you see a watch that you really like and you, you, you click on it, you can see the price. You can add it to the cart if you're in the United States. And that's part of the journey. You know, okay. I, I may then just I may then take that experience and go to the, the brand website and conclude there or might go to the boutique. I might actually just conclude the transaction there and then on 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 Instagram. Okay, it's, but it's one it's part of the journey, so it's it's one step of whatever the eight steps are that you go or take to buy a watch, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's fascinating about that is that it's almost like it's almost like a probability cloud. You know, a lot of people have spent a lot of time obsessing about the customer journey and which steps they take, but the reality is that you don't know. It's more like particle physics. You know, you know that you know the direction of the particle, but you don't know what velocity it's traveling at. The more you know about one thing, the less you know about the other. So, and this is this is my philosophy: is that as a luxury brand, that is, you need to be at the right place at the right time with the right offer and at the highest quality possible. And it's up to the customer or the particle to decide where they're going to purchase. Okay. That's super. For me, it's insanely interesting because I do run a fashion brand uh -huh. and I'm constantly trying to, and I'm not even close to, to being ready, but it's like we're, we're constantly re-questioning ourselves, what, what are we doing there? And I'm trying to make it as close as it gets to me being in a store and a customer walks in and how would that experience be? You know, so I'm trying to have the digital experience as close as it gets to an analog experience would be, um, which is a different thing 
than you are talking about, right? Like so, so um, I'm I have very very big big ears right now, and, and I'm listening very carefully. It's super interesting. I mean, it's it's very different, you know. The the digital and the physical experiences are very different, and in many many respects, again, e-commerce is very very young, and I I would I would challenge. I would challenge anybody to say that it's perfect and it's not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, if you think about the internet and the experience that you have on the internet, if you're really critical, it kind of sucks. It's not great, really, when you think about it. If you're looking for a product specifically and you're gathering information, it's a very laborious, painstaking process. How do how do how does you know what does e-commerce look like or what does you know digital look like in 10, 15 years from now? It's going to be a completely different landscape. Yeah. The way that we shop, you know, I, I don't like wasting my time looking for stuff. You know, I want to be fed this information. I want it to be anticipated that I'm looking for that information. And that's why I think that in fact the future of voice, AI, and assistance are going to change the way that we engage with the the internet and the world wide web. And so in fact, when I'm shopping in future, I'm not going to be doing the shopping. My assistant, my AI is going to do that for me and come back with some recommendations based on what it's found and what it knows that I like. Do you see what I mean? So, 100%. so yeah. it's all gonna, it's got to change. It's got to evolve and it will continue to do so. Okay, but between you and me, because we're private here, um, <laughs> I, I want to sell a lot of hoodies for 65 euros. So I need to go, what's the next big thing? Like, what should I concentrate on for the next two years? So Where it, are your customers? Uh, Europe, mainly, 80%. Uh, where do they spend their time? Online. Yeah. On I the, mean, so, I mean, I, I think you just need fish where the fish are to start with. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very fond of affiliate networks and, and really very strong um, digital marketing platforms like Google and Facebook. Um, but ultimate, or at least Facebook, including um, the full network of, of platforms that they, they have access to. Um, so it's, it's just, you know, I mean, you know, this is just about question. The question is really where are the customers and how do we engage with them the right content in order to get them to convert. Yeah. It is Instagram right now. I'm I'm just looking for the next big thing, you know? Like cuz it seems like you you have a good feeling for that. <laughs> the next big thing, I you know, it hasn't it hasn't been built yet. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's a bit of a it's a race between multiple platforms, isn't it? Yeah. Um yeah. and you know, I, I think trying to pick the next winner is, you know, if I could do that, then I would probably be sitting on a desert island by now. Um yeah. My own desert island. So, <laughs> what's been like in your career? You you've you've worked quite some time. What's been the best thing you the best product? What are you most proud of on a business level? The most, the thing I'm most proud of uh, was the relaunching of IWC.com back in 2011, and that was a, a monumental relaunch for for many reasons and 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 so i i say that because i'd literally just joined the brand uh, as 12 months beforehand and we had to go from a, a very basic digital experience to the most advanced digital experience in the watch industry in 12 months and and i know that you know it's hindsight is very is 2020 vision but in fact if you go back to 2010 as i said the vast majority of of the luxury brand websites were very they were stuck in the frame they didn't scroll 
They uh, they often used Flash to to try and excite their customers. And so when I joined, IWC had a quite a rudimentary website. It wasn't bad. Uh, it, it was quite basic, though. And again, it was stuck in the frame of the page. You couldn't scroll. You just had to click on links and it would take you to a new image and, and so on. And it had... You know, what, what, I, what was fascinating about IWC was it had this m- mountain of incredible content and, and in terms of depth and richness. Yeah. And, and that was encapsulated in, in the publication Watch International. And so when I arrived, I was like, look, you've got this m- incredible publication. What we should do is we should take that and put it online. And by the way, we should design the website a bit like a blog or, or, or a three-column architecture publication. And so that's what we did. We built the first luxury watch website that you could, I know this sounds ridiculous, that you could scroll, that had, (laughs) I'm kidding, you know, know, but I guarantee you it was like state, that was like a revolution. In fact, a year later, everybody had copied us. And I'm not kidding you. I, I even have a presentation of all the websites within the watch industry that shifted from a stuck in the frame experience to a three column architecture publication. And, and so, but we were first. And in fact, you know, we're way ahead of the game. In fact, even brands outside of the industry were copying our, our CSS, our cas- cascading style sheets and literally copying the, the, the website one for one. Uh, and so, so that, so that was a, uh, you know, it was a major win for me because I'd been sitting on the sidelines watching lots of the, the watch businesses kind of not get digital right. And then to have the opportunity to go and, and make it work. Uh, with such a, an amazing business as IWC and a brand as IWC, you know that was that was a pinnacle of my career when we relaunched IWC.com, uh, and um, yeah, it does sound like you were true pioneers there, and that's we, that's probably the best thing, the best feeling on earth, uh, right? Like if yeah. you do something for the first time, and then when you're quoting like somebody else is kind of you see that they're looking at your website and maybe copying it a year later and stuff like that. That's like I've had stuff in my kind of little bubble like that. And that made me super proud at the end. Like that makes me smile thinking of that right now. Yeah. And, you know, I go back to it every time. It's you know, a story I'll tell the grandkids. But, you know, it was it was a real it was a real shift for the for the industry, uh, I feel. But it, it was a perfect storm. You couldn't have done it with any other brand because IWC had everything. It had all the content. It had the, the you know, the forward thinking, um, uh, let's say, you know, risk accepting yeah. approach so you know it, it it was the right time i was the right guy in the right time in the right place if you see what i mean yeah a little luck of timing but uh yeah luck is when preparation meets opportunity <laughs> right yes absolutely <laughs> well, here we are in uh, wall tattoos but um yeah we, we could talk forever but i have to a little bit speed up to our sure. closing segment which is like the reoccurring and it's super interesting and and but i have a couple of uh, private questions like what sure. what watch are you wearing right now what's your favorite watch that's two questions to so i i'm wearing the iwc big pilot heritage edition that I bought uh, three years ago now, in fact. And it is my favorite watch because it combines a number of things. One, 100% manufacture movement. Two, it's titanium. Again, my favorite material. And three, it's a big pilot. I'm a big guy. It's a statement piece. It's instantly recognizable. And um, I love it. It's accurate. It's uh, It's got a combination of, of very high, highly advanced technology, but with a classic um, style so it's also quite um, uh, quite easy to wear 
Okay. And and on a cuz it you seem like a busy guy. Um but if you would have more time, what would you use it for right now? Like if you have more time for something, some topic in your personal or whatever Time. Well, I mean, family is always, you know, I'd love more time for my family, but but I have quite a lot of time with my family, thanks to home office, which is which is great. But in fact, if I could have more time, it would be to spend designing products, uh, everything from physical objects all the way and actually making them all the way through to to digital projects. So what I, kind of products like what what would you Well, so, I, so uh, in fact, I've got a really cool idea for uh, dynamically expanding luggage. That, that utilizes um, some existing technology. So it's a technology transfer project. And I've got the idea. I've done the designs. I just now need to make it in order to create a proof of concept. Uh, so this is essentially a, a rigid body system that acts like an, ex, uh, an exoskeleton for creating luggage, which has structure, but that can, that can adapt by, and I can't give it away because then, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no hope of a product or a patent. But, you know, just between you, me and these these four digital walls, um, that's what I, you know, I love doing that kind of stuff, you know, coming up with, with rather interesting technology transfers and, and then trying to actually make them work. Did you ever design a watch? At IWC, did you like try to sneak it into Christian you know, Knob's I, table and say like, I, "Hey, come on, I got something"? I'm I'm too smart for that. I mean, you know, I, these these watch designers, they you know, they're on a they're on a completely different level when it comes. You know, that designing a watch is such a complicated thing to do, um, and and requires a lot of years of learning and training and expertise because the proportions are all so critical. If you get it wrong, yeah. it just it looks terrible. And I yeah. have tried to design watches in the past, uh, and they were okay, but they were, you know, nowhere near what uh, what the guys at IWC are doing. So I, I you know, I, I I come up with ideas for you know technology combinations, and why why haven't we thought of this? And can we use this material? But that's where I draw the line. I, I would never send Christian a drawing that I've made of a watch because it would be an insult. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a watch when you were growing up? What what's yeah, been absolutely. your first watch? You know, my first watch. It was uh, pretty certain it was unbranded, but it was um, it was a little watch that had a, a cowboy, and he his his little gun would 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 tick with the set at seconds. Um, and my my dad got that for me. I think I must have been like four at the time. Um, and and you know that that really started my passion for watches. Whenever because he was traveling with the orchestra, whenever he went away, he would have to bring me back a watch. And so I have this sort of se sequence of little watches that I that I collected when I was a kid. I got really into the digital watches. I'm sorry about that, but I you know the the Casio calculators and yeah. uh, I, I had one which used to just used to play tunes, which which kept me fascinated for hours. But yeah, so I had lots of little watches when I was a kid. Super interesting. I mean, I could talk for hours, but I'm going to come around uh, Schaffhausen and then I want to see that sketch of the one design you did, to <laughs> yes, be honest. If you yeah, show yeah. it to me, I, I, I'm <laughs> super interested. Thank you very much for all that that input and uh, all the information. It's it's quite interesting and fascinating because, honestly, I, I got the message and, and like the CDO and I was like, what, the, what is that? What's happening? <laughs> Now I know what you're doing and it is interesting and it is. it feels like You have a bright future ahead, so because what you're doing is the future, um, and it feels like, uh, yeah, yeah, you you did the right thing 
not staying in, in product uh, designing things in London, but switching into a more digital version of that. And, and congratulations to being a pioneer. It's uh, honestly very, very good. Very impressive. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I would just leave you this with this. And that is a website is a product as well. And so actually as a product designer, you, you approach every challenge as a product design challenge. There you go. Can't add anything to that. You're totally right. <laughs>